Well, maybe that goes to show you a couple things. Number one, I'm human, in case you were wondering. Too bad Sherry's not here. You, you let her know. You let her know that guy's not perfect. But it's interesting because that little bloop with the computer, which is so minor, and you guys are so gracious when we have things like that, and it just sits in my mind, and it affects the, my target practice when I play the piano in it. Maybe that's, maybe that's appropriate that that happened this morning, maybe a little bit of a reminder, because here we are getting ready for Easter and resurrection, and, and don't we just kind of just fumble through things sometimes, and we get so hung up on that little mistake we made, we just kind of make another one and we get discouraged. Well, we're not going to get discouraged this morning. No. It's Easter. Christ is, has come, and uh, he will be sacrificing his life on the cross for each one of us, every single one of us, and, and he will go to the Father and, and take his position at the right hand of God, and, and all is forgiven, bad notes and everything. So I appreciate you expressing that kind of grace this morning, and for those listening at home, it wasn't that bad, okay? I'm being dramatic, but, but anyway. This morning's message I call Any Given Sunday, and... Uh, Today we're celebrating the first Sunday of the Lenten season, and, and Lent honors the period of time when Jesus, who, having just been baptized, and he received the Holy Spirit, and he went alone into the wilderness for 40 days in order to prepare for his public ministry. Okay? And as you may call from last week's message, for us, Lent is also a period of preparation and reflection. And as is the tradition in some churches, we may begin this period with a, a visual and a spiritual reminder of the plate by placing ashes on our foreheads or hands. Or we may elect to fast or give up something of relative importance in order to both recognize the sacrifice made by Jesus for these 40 days and to remove just more, one, one more of those things that, that sometimes we allow to become inordinately important in our lives. It's a great period to just be reminded of Jesus' sacrifice, not just on the cross, but throughout his life, to be like us, but to be like God. And as many people have taken these steps to prepare for the Easter season, I hope you're able to take some confidence in your ongoing efforts to stay connected to the Lord uh, and, and to the story of Christ and his life. So I want to be clear. I said, take confidence in our efforts, right? Don't be complacent. Don't be arrogant or proud. Say, you're just now getting back to church. We've been here this whole time learning about Jesus. The truth is that we should never stop studying Jesus' life and ministry. We should never stop applying these lessons to our lives. These are not things we should do for a season or a holiday. These are daily efforts, efforts that will, you'll be blessed for making these efforts, even when we learned a couple weeks ago, even when we fall short. Okay, we're striving for perfection, but we're giving with excellence. James 1.22 advises, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. It says, do what it says. Faith in action, guys. It's faith in action. In one such way, we connect to the message of the good news and show obedience to his commandments and teaching is to, to gather as we do here on Sunday mornings. And you've often heard me say, and it's usually in time of prayer, that this time we spend together in study and worship each week should be in addition to the time you spend doing this at home and other places. It's not instead of these opportunities. We don't pray here and nowhere else. We don't worship God here and nowhere else. We shouldn't listen to God's word or, or try to understand him here and nowhere else. It's an addition to, and there's something that happens when we're together as a group. And still Jesus himself established the church because he understands the value of fellowship and the support each of us take 
as we take our individual steps of faith along this journey of salvation, and we may be on different places in this path and different levels, all that, but we're all heading the same direction with the same goal in mind. In Matthew 16, we read an interaction between Jesus and his disciples, and and let's start at verse 13. It says, he asked the disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and so others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But Jesus said, but who about, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not to reveal to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and Peter means rock, and he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now what an honor, what an awesome promise that was made to the community of believers that would become the church. Jesus' own words said, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. They will not overcome you. And this is just one of many promises made in this regard. We are familiar with Jesus' instructions, known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19-20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And it says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The making of disciples, it grows the church, doesn't it? It doesn't just fill our pews, it grows the church. And it's more than a building. The church that Jesus was referring to is this community of people who are pursuing God. Not long after the, this conversation Jesus, uh, between Jesus and Peter, Jesus gave up his life on the cross, bearing all of our sins and taking them to the grave, overcoming death and providing a means of complete reconciliation with God the Father. And once this happened, the true meaning and power of church was revealed, right? It is promised in James 4 that if we come near to God, he will come near to us, right? We're here. We're coming near to God, and he will meet us where we're at. Or Matthew 18, 20, we, we know this one. For where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Now, this is not literally possible when he was alive. He couldn't be everywhere at once. And it's not possible if Jesus were dead because he wouldn't be here at all. But Jesus is able to keep this promise and be with us as he promised because he had died and he had risen and now watches us from where he stands, which we know from our recent studies, is at the right hand of God. And when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. The early followers of Christ eagerly sought this. The New Testament gives multiple accounts and references to the practices of the early church. I just want to read a few of these passages this morning. This is from the book of Acts, and again, a lot of the scriptures I'm referencing are on the back of your bulletin. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you hear that? They, they were following the teachings. They were breaking together. They were having fellowship. Right? They were sharing meals. And every day they met in temple courts, not just in churches, not just in buildings, temple courts. And they break bread and broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. That is church. From this morning's scripture, remember 
that Leslie read in 1 Corinthians. When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. When you come here this morning with a thought on your heart, with a song in your heart, whatever it may be, you're bringing that into this congregation, this building where we conduct our church service and we worship him together. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. This building is base camp where we come together and we energize ourselves with worship and prayers together and then we go out into the world. Colossians 3.16 Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Singing God with gratitude in your hearts. Let Christ dwell within you. The message of Christ dwell within you as we teach and admonish. You know what admonish means? It's not beat each other up. It's hold each other accountable. It's lift each other up. Let's encourage each other to keep fighting the fight to do right. You know, and we do it through homes, psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit and, and all that. It's all an important part of worship. And last, 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So many of these are letters from Paul to the early believers saying, this is how we worship Christ in the absence of Christ being with us in body. You see, God delights in the church. And our practice of gathering for study and worship on Sunday helps us stay in accordance with his commandments. Three in particular, and you probably know what they are. You shall have no other God before me. We're here worshiping the one true God. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Okay? We don't have idols in here. And also, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. These are not automatically checked off the list just by showing up here on Sunday morning. Okay? I'm here. Sabbath is holy. I'm here. No other gods. But this is a safe place where you're surrounded by spiritually like-minded people who are putting God first in this period of time, this one hour, hour and 10 minutes a week where we come together. We do not put any other God or thing ahead of him during this period. We do not worship an idol or become so focused on traditions that we inadvertently honor those instead of God himself. And by doing so, we are honoring the Sabbath. We're keeping it holy. It is our engagement in prayer and worship that gives our gathering together power and influence in our lives. It is the individual choices, individual choices that each of us make to be here and be engaged that makes it God first. Nothing else between us and him. And we're going to keep this day his day. And God delights in this, like I said. And that is because he wants a relationship with you. A relationship that begins with obeying the Father because he truly knows what is good for you. From 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel replies, does the, Lord, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. He says this because Samuel knew that God doesn't want your stuff. He wants you. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. He says this because Isaiah, Isaiah knew that God doesn't want your fancy words and your rituals. He wants you. And the Apostle Paul knew this too and wrote these words to the early church in Rome, Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When we do this, church is truly more than the building we gather in. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote so many letters of instruction and support to the early churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Rome and Ephesus, to name a few, he was imprisoned for his beliefs. And he wrote so many of these letters from prison. I was, con okay, so Corinth, Corinthians, Thessalonica, Thessalonians, Rome, Romans, Ephesus, Ephesians. I always wondered why the people that live up in Iowa aren't called Iwanians. Thank you. That's how they know there's someone listening. There's, they hear a laugh every now and then. Anyway, while he and Silas were in prison, they remained the church, honoring God with their words, prayer, and song. They were in their cell having church. Acts 16.25 tells it this way. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I love that. It says others are listening. And that is in part because people were confused and curious about the joy and gratitude being expressed from the prison cell nearby. Many of them wanted that for themselves. And doesn't that sound familiar to some of the amazing senses of joy and peace sometimes we face when we're in a struggle? And we say, look at so-and-so. They just got this diagnosis, but they're smiling. They love God and they're enjoying life. I want to be like that. You know, I don't want what they have. I don't want them to have it. But how do they do that? Okay. And during one of these periods of struggle, Paul continued to write these letters and it says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Again, this is Paul writing this letter from prison. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach full unity or reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Does that sound like he's establishing a church? He's putting prophets and apostles, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for service so the body of Christ may be built up. This is just what we read. And then he goes on explaining, he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, right? We talked about that in the Bible study this morning. Stand firm, stand firm. Do not be influenced by anything but the truth. Paul continues, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's deep. Everybody's a part of this body. Later in the same letter that would become the New Testament book of Ephesians, Paul writes, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. His intent 
was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ our Lord. Can you see how important the purpose of church is? So thank you for being here this morning. Not just because it's nice to see you, it is, but because your presence adds value to this gathering and influences the lives around you, not just in the pew, but in your life. We are glad you are here, and God is glad that you are here. John 4, it says, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. God delights in our praise and worship. So let me just share one more of Paul's letters of encouragement. This is from Philippians 2, 111. It says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, which is what we are, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. God delights in this church. Not because it's a show of obedience to honoring him as the one true God and, and respects the Sabbath, all important stuff. And it's not just because he needs our prayers and worship. He enjoys them. He wants to hear from us. But those things benefit us. God knows what's on our heart. When we speak them out loud, that's for us. God delights in this church because it brings us closer to him. God delights in you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to spend an eternity in heaven together with you, and I mean all of you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father God, you know my heart. I love this church for so many reasons, but for so many more reasons I love the church. The church that was established when Peter looked at Jesus and says, you are the one. We'll follow you. And we know that the gates of hell cannot overcome the church that is the community of believers. God, we ask that you help us to stand strong, to stand firm against any outside influence that may take us just our eyes off you for even a fraction of a second. Above all, please help us to not become discouraged as we struggle and fall short. Rather, have us not run from you, but turn to you, relying on you as we take these steps in faith. God, this morning in particular, we've prayed for many who are ill and suffering and just going through some things. Lord, we thank you for the church that rallies around them with words of support and encouragement and prayer and also material ways of support through financial gifts and offerings and and all the such that we do to support those in need. God, let us not overlook our own needs either. Sometimes we need to take a rest and rely on you as we recoup. So Father, this week in particular, I want to challenge us to be ever mindful of what church is. It's not a building. It's more than a lifestyle. It's more than an attitude. 
it is a life, a life devoted to you. God, we thank you for this building. We do. And we thank you for the warmth it provides and, and the beauty in this, in this area. It's just amazing this morning with the, the warm temperatures and the sunshine and, and birds we haven't heard in months. Just a true reminder of the, the regeneration the re, and the growth of spring and the beautiful creation. And we thank you for this building that's here in this beautiful place and ask that you continue to lead people here so that we may grow the church in a way that honors you and values the lives and people that come here. Dear Lord, we lift up this entire service to you. Amen. Now this is the first Sunday of the month and as so it is uh, our tradition to take communion and I want to remind you that this church celebrates open communion which means anyone who'd like to participate is welcome and encouraged to do so. And uh, I want to read something from Corinthians. And a lot of times you'll hear me say pretty close to the same thing. And these are scriptural versions of the apostles, I'm sorry, the disciples uh, of the Last Supper. But here we are in, in Corinthians. This is Paul again writing another letter. And he says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Okay, so this is something that he heard and he's, he's praying forward and he's quoting what happened. So this is the value of teaching and preaching and sharing the word. So Paul's not saying, I, I was even there. He says, I, I received this from the Lord and I want to pass it on to you. So again, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and we heard or when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That is Paul reminding us of the sacrifice. So we're going to take communion now.